Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. And for the record, I'm not a perfect person. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. All right, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, February 11th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Oh, and we can't forget the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. That's correct. It is Tuesday, February 11th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. this hour of the program it's the return of our good friend and radio host doris davenport we welcome president and ceo of cannabis norbert pickett and president and ceo of personal pack put on your big boy pants terry cosgrove and now your host yes still president and ceo of nothing (laughs) Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Ben Jarofsky here. I'm president and CEO of the Doris Davenport fan club. How about that? Uh, Doris Davenport in the studio. Talk a little politics with Norbert, uh, Norbert Pickett in the studio. Uh, he is the uh, CEO of Cannabis, as De- uh, Dennis said. Man, an outsider from Washington, D.C. trying to get a medical uh, or a cannabis dispensary in the city of Chicago. Norbert, you are going to learn a thing or two about <laughs> Chicago politics and how the game is played in this city before it's all over. We're going to have that discussion with us. Do you got an update for me before we bring him on? I'm ready to get into this interview here. Uh, Norbert gave me his card. Oh, you're going to be hearing from me a lot, pal. I love marijuana. Even before it was legal. Uh, Well, in some ways, it's still illegal. In fact, uh, it was just the other day, I was walking down the street and there was someone smoking a joint. By the way, I was at the opera last yesterday, Doris Davenport and Norbert, and I swear to God, that it was the the, uh, the second, the intermission was over and the second Uh act was beginning. Man, it was like, did somebody light up in the opera (laughs) house? You know what I think it was, Norbert? I think somebody had been smoking outside and they just brought the smell in, but it was Mm. so powerful. Oh, you said the opera house? I I was walking by there. Sorry about that. (laughs) Sorry about that. All right, we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna take the deep dive with Norbert uh, on the issue of uh, what it's like to uh, get a um, 
a license to operate a, a, a cannabis dispensary in the city of Chicago. Before they do that, Doris Davenport, you're a political junkie. I just got to ask you a question. Uh, related to the theme that I began the show with before we bring Norbert on, and that is this. My beloved Democratic Party really had a rough week last week, to put it mildly. Uh, on so many levels, they struck out. Yeah. Uh, the, at the top of the list was the utter incompetence or dysfunction of Iowa. Could not count the votes. At this time, uh, last week, we were talking about that profusely. Inability just to basically count the votes, and that leads to all kinds of chaos in the ranks, accusations of trying to steal the election, rig the election. Uh, we've been discussing it all week long, and it all comes from the failure to adequately count the votes. And so when you look at this mess, this dysfunction that uh, we have inherited from the week before, are you confident? And my beloved Democratic Party can sort of put this behind and move forward? Or do you think that this is just like uh, a prediction of what is to come? <laughs> I was no not pressure. Ready for the okay. You know, I'd have to say that sadly, I think it's a little bit of both. And unfortunately, it might be a lot of both. I, I, I was really so embarrassed. And I was afraid. Mm -hmm. I was embarrassed because, gosh, this is 2020. With all the technology that we have in our wheelhouse now, we should have gotten this right. But it does actually point to why we still need paper ballots, right? I mean, every state now, and I don't know whether they had a mixture of the electronic ballots and paper ballots or how they did their elections, but if you can't even count the paper ballot backups, that's a big problem. We're gonna have a problem state to state on these electronic ballots. Mm -hmm. We need to have paper ballots that back up, not a strip of paper that shows you after you've done your electronic voting that you have voted, because even when those are calculated, it's a barcode as I understand it. It's not really like a paper ballot. But then we also need to empower people like our friend Laura Chamberlain, who tries her best to do these um, um, uh, uh, audits of the vote count. We need more of that and we need those kinds of vote counts with the people involved to be sanctioned. I think that what we saw of Donald Trump in the beginning of his previous run for office, mm -hmm. all the threats that he made about what he would do if he did not win, I think this is laying the groundwork for that kind of conversation. And not only do I think it's laying the groundwork for that, I am fearful for the first time in a long time that if we don't get this right, we're going to see political violence to a degree that we have not seen in this country. What in do you mean time. by that? I think the threats that Donald Trump is making to his base to rile them up, we know that they are a violent group of people. They have proven that in some of their rallies. If for some reason he does not win this election, which obviously I hope he does not, mm -hmm. I believe that he is going to be urging his voter base to move toward chaotic behavior mm -hmm. around the country in these um, precincts. Well, one of the things that he's doing right now, which I have a smile when I see because uh, it's so deceitful, uh, I'll get to, he, he's trying to um, uh, pick at that wound between uh, Bernie Sanders supporters and the centrists in the Democratic Party by uh, tweeting out that they're trying to steal the election from you, Bernie. They're trying to That's steal. That's right. And to me, I made this point at the start. It really reminds me what he does with black voters. Yeah. 
So he offers nothing to a Bernie Sanders supporter. If you were a Bernie Sanders supporter, Donald Trump, everything he stands for is regression. He offers nothing to black America. I'm putting that out there. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Zero. All he can say to black America is the Democratic Party has uh, failed you and let and has not delivered on its promises. But I'm not even going to promise you anything. <laughs> so, like, what? In, in a right. right mind, black mm-hmm. person would vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Who? Uh, in your right mind. In your right mind. Okay. In your right mind. I'm not promising you anything. Mm-hmm. So that's supposedly an improvement over someone who promises you something and doesn't deliver. Yeah. Do you follow the logic? I, I follow you. I follow you. And for people that are right here in Chicago, black people, don't don't mistake the things that you feel are positive that are happening on the local level for something Donald Trump is doing for you. Because he's trying to withhold everything he can from Cook County, City of Chicago, and State of Illinois. So let's give our local politicians some credit for some of the good things that are happening here. That ain't Donald Trump. No, Donald Trump, and, and this is the thing that kills me. So while he's trying to get the Bernie supporters not to vote, mm-hmm. uh, Donald Trump, he announced, I don't know if you saw this last week, uh, Doris, that he was going to uh, try to win over black voters. Mm-hmm. I, I swear, I'm not making this up. He <laughs> said he was going to do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm looking for the plan. Mm, mm, mm. You know, like, where's your health care plan? Yeah, where is your housing plan? Yeah, well, how about, Where's yeah, your jobs plan for the African-American community on the west sides and the south sides of places like Chicago? I don't want to hear it. So it, it, it is it is an interesting uh development here uh so yeah so yeah. what you do is you um you take advantage of the frustration impatience uh that people have democrats have with the democratic party mm-hmm. and its inability to deliver uh and uh, you take a you take advantage of that but you mm-hmm. don't offer anything but you don't offer anything nothing at all but that's how donald trump is Anything that he did offer people when he first got into office was not believable, actually, because he totally flip-flopped on just about everything he said he was going to do for anybody that wasn't part of that right-wing base. Mm -hmm. And he's not interested in the black community. He's not really interested in the Latino community either. He wants to stand up and say, I'm your friend. I believe in you. And because he pardons one person, you should come out in masses and vote for him. I think not. He has proven he's going to do what he can to overturn Roe versus Wade. He's going to do what he can to make sure there's never affirmative action again in the land. He's going to do what he can. He's already his first 100 days in office uh, rolled back one of the one of the best housing plans Barack Obama put in place, put a delay on it for three to four years. I bet that gets buried mm-hmm. altogether. When was the last time you even heard from the housing secretary? Yeah. And if he wanted to do something for the black community, he would take the Minority Business Development Agency out of the Small Business Administration uh, Agency and let it stand on its own in the U.S. Department of Commerce. Well, uh, clearly uh, Donald Trump uh, feels that he could get reelected uh, by... And a, a very interesting conflict here. Mm. On one hand, uh, sort of play at the feelings of frustration and disappointment uh, that black voters have with the Democratic Party. And then on the other hand, at the same time, use prominent black people as a way to fire up uh, his white supporters. Yeah. So, for instance, like you before all is said and done. Colin Kaepernick. He'll start hammering at Colin Kaepernick mm. again to mm-hmm. fire up uh, his uh, white supporters. Yeah. Uh, before all is said and done, uh, he'll go after some uh, of uh, Maxine Waters oh, to yeah. fire up. Uh, Auntie Maxine. Yeah, Auntie Maxine. He'll go play those cards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he'll say, oh, Democrats, you know, 
I don't promise you, so you're not going to get anything from me. <laughs> and you so know, I can't be disappointed in me. And here's the, here's the frustration for me, is that there really is real frustration among black people within the Democratic Party. And we don't like to look at, say, our parties and look at them as an experiment that we so easily like to call America. But they're about to change the rules in the Democratic Party. They're going to change the rules so that um, Bloomberg can make it to the debate stage. They did change the rules. Okay, so <laughs> okay. it's a done deal now. Yeah. One billionaire bought himself on stage. That's Steyer. I'm not mad at Steyer because I actually like a lot of the things that he's saying. If it wasn't for Steyer in the last debate, that whole segment on race never would have happened. It never would have happened. And that's why, you know, if somebody asks me, are you feeling the burn? I'm really not. You know, I'm not feeling the burn and the burn. And the reason I'm not is because he, of all people standing on that stage, should have been the first one to bring up race and the black community and the brown community, particularly the black community and what should be happening. But he didn't. Nobody did. Not Elizabeth Warren, not him, not even Biden. It was Steyer who brought it up and started that whole segment. And nobody gives him credit for that. But Bloomberg is on his way to the debate. No, Bloomberg, I, when it's all, it's, I'm telling, we're going to move over to uh, Norbert Pickett right mm -hmm. now. And uh, uh, because there's some uh, similarities to the themes you're talking about with what he's uh, trying to do here in the city of Chicago. Uh, but I got to say, I said this last week, if I were a centrist, I wouldn't vote for Steyer. Mm -hmm. If I were a centrist, I'm not a centrist, mm -hmm. okay? I'm a Bernie. I'm on that Bernie <laughs> side of things, okay? Uh, but if I was a centrist, I wouldn't vote for Steyer. I wouldn't vote for Biden. I wouldn't vote for Klobuchar. I wouldn't vote for Buttigieg. I'd vote for Bloomberg. Yeah. I'd vote for the billionaire. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And that's how it goes in politics. If I wanted my I'm guy to vote, I would want the billionaire. Right, right, okay? right. Uh, but that's, yeah. you know, I'm not a centrist. <laughs> I'm a centrist with a left lean. Man, hold on. I, I need some of Norbert's uh, product to figure that one out. A centrist with a left lean. That's right. We're, we're, we're coming up with all these new labels. That's mine. I'm a centrist with a left lean. All right. This is how it works. Okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some of Norbert's uh, product and then I'll understand it. All right. Uh, uh, Norbert Pickett, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Showing here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Cannibalist is the name of your company. You're trying to set up an operation here in the city of Chicago. Uh, let's. We'll get into all that, but why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, the one thing I know about you that's the top of my list. Uh, my utter obsession is with basketball. You are a former basketball player. Talk about that and how that led to where you are now. Yeah. Um, coming out of high school, I was a decent athlete. Um, Led New England in scoring, averaged 34 a game, was seventh in the nation at all high schoolers um, in the country in scoring. Where'd you, what, you led uh, New I, England? For, so where'd yeah, you grow up? I grew up right outside of Boston, a place called Fitchburg, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. about 30 minutes from Boston, about 30 minutes from Worcester, Mass. Um, not too far from the New Hampshire border. And uh, you know, we, I came from a, a basketball powerhouse, a school's known for, for athletics. And uh, you know, we did pretty well. And uh, ended up going to University of Rhode Island my freshman year, and then my coach left, and then transferred to Boston University, and uh, played for a guy named Mike Jarvis. I uh, went to the tournament a couple times. Uh, I was inducted in New England Basketball Hall of Fame in 2015, August 2015, and uh, ended up after college, ended up working in the NBA for uh, the Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals, which is the NHL team, working for an owner named Abe Poland, um, who you know was a guy that funded Ticketmaster. Um, Amazing guy. He's, he's now passed. God bless his soul. And uh, he gave me a great opportunity, and that's what started me off in pro sports. I went from there, and I uh, was supervising the marketing department for the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, left there and went on to uh, the Baltimore Ravens and, and uh, was a marketing director in there 
in their operation, CBS Sports Radio. Um, and so uh, from there, I, I went out to Hollywood and uh, worked on, uh, was casting director of Jimmy Come Alive for four years. Um, also did some casting. Uh, we did bits and promos for Monday Night Football. Uh, worked in David Spade show, uh, Adam Carolla, uh, punked, uh, had a long 16-year career uh, in film and television. And, uh, and I was hit in a car accident when I was vice president head of production of a television and film studio called High Point Studios. Um, it left me, unfortunately, left me permanently disabled. Uh, went through 18 procedures, uh, five major surgeries, uh, reconstructed a third of my spine, a uh, third of it's artificial. And, uh, and through that whole process, I had to learn how to walk again twice. And uh, what brought me to cannabis was that I was on five different opioids at one time and wasn't, wasn't used to that. I'm vegan, I don't drink alcohol, I'm an athlete, I run four miles a day. And I wasn't Wait, used to- you, you did run four miles, you don't run four miles a day now, do I you? do, if you can believe it or not, I've, I've made a comeback. <laughs> that would be constitute a comeback. You couldn't even walk, now you're running four miles a day. Well, I mean, before the accident, you know, when you're an athlete, you can, I can run like a deer, jump like a deer, I just didn't think like a deer. Um, and so, luckily, the doctor said because I was in good shape, um, I was. Wait, how does a deer even think? <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Exactly. Anyway, it sees on. the headlights and it just stops. It doesn't think. That's the problem. Um, so, uh, so luckily, um, because I was in pretty good shape before the surgery happened, uh, I was able to, you know, to make a, a miraculous comeback. I had a guy that uh, we call him the Fixer. He's a world-renowned spinal surgeon named Dr. Larason who put me back together again. So basically, I was broken in a car accident put together incorrectly, because they put a, 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 a huge screw in my aorta, which caused me to lose mobility from the waist down, put together incorrectly, then I was torn apart again, and then put back together again. So that's been my story. How long ago did this all occur? This happened the tearing in, apart and the putting back together, yeah. It actually happened in 2016. So it's been a four-year ordeal for you? Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been a haul. Oh, excuse me. It happened in 2012, and it ended in uh, mid-2016, my words, last surgery. Got it. And so had you, uh, were you a marijuana smoker before all this went down? Or no, no. I mean, once in a while, you know, being a, you know, a producer and working Hollywood, you know, you in a party or two, you know, you kind of partake a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, you didn't inhale. I didn't, yeah, I didn't inhale. <laughs> it was illegal. Yeah, you were, oh, it was illegal, so I won't inhale. You did not inhale. But, uh, you know, I was a single dad, and one day I made the mistake. You know, I got custody of my son, and I had a babysitter come in, and then I was hungover. I said, Dad, need a night out. And that little kid was smacking me in the face the next morning. So from that point on, I said I would never <laughs> do that again. It, it was a miserable existence. And uh, so I kept it pretty pretty clean from that point moving forward. Um, so now, so, you know, when you're on those opioids, it, you know, what people don't realize is that after about four months, they end up creating the symptoms they're supposed to relieve you of. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are all temporary fixes. And so that's how people get addicted. They ended up taking more in order to get more relief when in fact what they're taking is actually creating the symptoms. So, and, and the doctors don't want to tell you that because they want you to take as many pills as possible. And so, you know, people have a hard time. I mean, I went Doctors to Doctors want you to take those pills, why? Because they get paid to give out those pills by the pharmaceutical industry. It's a dirty, the pain management business is a dirty business. You show up there once a month, you sign your name, they give you your pills, you walk out the door. I, would, I was on the same calendar as other guys, and what they would do is they're like, hey, I'm gonna take this, this Oxycontin for the rest of my life. I'm just gonna chase it with a beer every night. And I'm like, really? That's how you're gonna live your next 30 years? I'm like, I, I had no interest in that. Um, I feel much better when I'm clear. And you know, the good thing about cannabis is that it has very little side effects. 
I can, it'll put me to sleep. I wake up next morning, I'm good to go, like nothing ever happened. When is, but does the pain kick in the next day? It, it does, but the pain kicks in from me lying in a, since I have so much hardware in my spine, from me lying in the same position for hours. Mm -hmm. uh, from that effect, that's where the pain kicks in. I just get up and, you know, take an edible or something in the morning. So before, let's just pause for a moment to just talk about the hypocrisy and feel free to vigorously disagree with me if you want. Uh, of professional sports toward uh, cannabis, I'll use your word. I'm really struggling not to call it reefer, but um, <laughs> the, the utter hypocrisy, uh, Norbert. I until recently, this really bothers me. I mean, football players in particular, they destroy their bodies for us, the fans. I admit, I'm a football fan. I'm a little embarrassed by it, but they destroy their bodies uh, for the fans. They run into each other at full speed. All right, knocking heads together, all kinds of concussions, broken bones, etc., and so forth. Everybody knows that reefer helps alleviate the pain, but it was illegal in the NFL. They'd rather feed the football players these pills that are probably more dangerous to their bodies than marijuana, because I don't know what what they're plugged into this old notion that there's some it's an evil weed. Do you follow what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And I don't think the NBA is much better uh, on this. I believe they were testing uh, basketball players for marijuana up until recently, I want to say. I haven't looked into this lately, but I think up until like the last uh, players packed uh, that the players deal that they signed with the NBA, they were still testing players. So and then they would talk about a player while well, he was busted for marijuana, like he had done something really wrong. You know what I mean? Well, Howard, he'll grow up like what you know you ever notice that like well so and so was busted and then the excuse was well he was immature but now he's going to grow up you know what i mean like it's somehow a grow up and mature to take the the meds that they feed you as opposed to the reefer that really always struck me that uh professional sports sort of fed these biases we have against marijuana well you're absolutely right i mean when you just look at the name reefer if you watch reefer madness you know the documentary you know, you know, people understand the historical significance of cannabis and how it's been demonized. If you look at birth, it goes way back to birth of a nation, you know, depicting black people eating watermelon, smoking cannabis, chasing women around, trying to rape them, white women specifically. Um, and so, you know, it's got a stigma to it. So the owners, you know, who a lot of these guys are old school Southerners. They're, they're okay with, you know, taking the, the, the drug that was made in the laboratory and giving it to the patient, even though it's killing their liver in order to process and digest it, it's tearing them up and it has all these side effects. These patients, and I mean, these, uh, these players are never gonna be right. But if you notice, Major League Baseball took a courageous step. Those guys have the strongest players union in all of pro sports. They weren't tested for anything. <laughs> and then all of a sudden this year, the, when their collecting bargaining agreement came up, they decided, hey, you know what? We wanna medicate with cannabis and we wanna do it responsibly. So what they did was, they were never tested for anything. They decided to give up. Um, Coke testing for cocaine in order for them, for the league to give them okay to pass to, sm to smoke cannabis. So now they can smoke cannabis, but they'll get tested for cocaine. And now is the, the give and take. Is, does the NFL still uh, test for cannabis? Yes, they do. And what about the NBA? Yes, uh, the NBA does not. Uh, the NBA didn't, but now they do. But they shouldn't. And, and last month... Wait, hold on. I lo you lost me on that one. Didn't they, the NBA, didn't the NBA used to test for cannabis? They did. Mm -hmm. And then they stopped. And what happened was, I don't know if you read the statements in December that David Stern put out before he passed. He said in the next collective bargaining agreement 
that the players union and the league should allow the patients to medicate with cannabis. Something tells me whatever David Stern was going through, how he passed at the end, he was medicating with cannabis and actually realized and understood the value of it from a patient standpoint. Wow, well, uh, it's better late than never, I would say. Uh, but uh, I always struck me how hypocritical uh, the sports leagues were uh, on that front. So, it is, and we're reaching out to the play, the NFL Players Association and also the NBA Players Association talk about this in order to teach them, instruct them how the players can, can uh, uh, responsibly medicate with cannabis uh, and, and, and teaching them about the side effects and, and showing them how it won't affect their performance on the field. I think, that's what, I think owners are afraid that they're going to go and consume before they start playing and they're going to be lackadaisical and not be able to perform. I think that's the, but then they're getting shots and they're taking pills before they play. So, I mean, I don't understand uh, where they're I mean, coming from with that. Everything you just said, we're going to move on for this, but everything you just said, Norbert, shows you what's wrong with the attitude about owners. Just think about what you just said. The owners are going to deprive players of uh, a substance that would alleviate their pain because they're worried that if they take the substance, they won't hit each other as hard as they had been hitting each other. Do you follow what I'm saying? Correct. Oh, well, <laughs> it just, I, I can't even quite get the words out. You know what I'm saying? Or uh, maybe the jump shot won't be falling because, uh, you know, it'll somehow or other deter his ability to shoot the jump shot. So, um, and it won't help them, by the way. I mean, a steroid presumably gives someone an advantage uh, in competitive sports. But what embedded in your what you just said is that marijuana would be a disadvantage if you follow what I'm saying. It would be not not while you're participating. No, nobody can participate. You know, in a sport like that, moving that quickly and your cognitive functioning and be able to understand what's going on in real time. No, I don't believe anybody could. I would never advise that to anyone, any athlete. All right. So how did you uh, transition from that place of pain uh, where you discovered the reliefs of cannabis to where you are now, uh, the CEO of Cannabis? Well, what happened was I, I relocated to Washington, D.C. I wanted to create a better uh, quality of life for my son. And I was fresh off of a surgery where they removed uh, three discs out of my cervical. I was working with my physical therapist, Delati Witten, and he informed me at the time that there was a medical cannabis license coming up and I could apply for that. So what happened was I went and, and I found that when I came from the California program to the DC program, that the prices were really high. And we were actually, it turned out we're the highest in the country, 20% higher than any other state. And so I took it upon myself to buy a building, go apply so I can bring down the cost for patients because there's no copay through insurance and patients at a disadvantage, uh, they can't afford the medication. So I applied, I actually lost, um, and, and that whole process was weird because in D.C., you have to go in front of the ANC Commission, which is a board of elected officials. You give your presentation, they vote on your application. That's, and part of those points, this is like kind of like the social equity piece of, of the application. And so when you, so depending on how your vote is cast, you'll gain points or you'll lose points. I, got, I got received a 7-0 vote in support of me receiving a license in dispensary. My two other applicants who are my competitors um, got voted against unanimously by the politicians. And then when I lost, I didn't make any sense to me. Through discovery, we found out that, you know, I got the same amount of points. The judge, her head almost exploded. Wait, come out, through discovery, so you filed a lawsuit as well? Yeah, I filed a lawsuit against the Department of Health. Mm -hmm. And through discovery, we found out that um, some of my scores had been scratched and lowered. And they also found out I basically received the same amount of points for a unanimous vote and support as a unanimous vote against. And so um, the judge couldn't understand that. We couldn't understand it. It wasn't right. 
And by the time we ended up winning, winning two months later, the judge had never ruled on it. Department of Health realized what they had done, reversed themselves, and awarded me the license. We've now been open since August of 2019. We've been serving that disadvantaged community over in Northeast DC in a neighborhood called Deanwood. Um, and I've hired 21 people for that community, uh, 12 black women, eight, eight black men. Uh, only one of them had a college degree. We trained them, we coached them up. Uh, we wanted to give women and people of color an opportunity in cannabis, and they're thriving there, and they're doing a fantastic job. I'm so proud of every single one of them. And we basically wanted to come here to D.C. and emulate the same type of program. Chicago. Is, I mean, excuse me, the Chicago from D.C., mm -hmm. and implement the same kind of program to where it's more of a mentorship. So when people leave us, our employees leave, they'll leave better off than when they came to us. So hopefully they can go off and start a transport company or start infusion or processing or start testing company where they're able to work somewhere else in cannabis. That's our goal. All right, two things uh, pop in. You were medical marijuana in Washington, D.C.? Yes. Uh, did you, is, do you have a recreational license in D.C. as well? Do they even have recreational reefer in D.C.? Well, recreational, uh, and as I call it, I call it adult use because recreational sounds like too much fun. It sounds like <laughs> physical education <laughs> classes. But. Adult use, yeah. I know, all the different, I'm really trying to stay up with it. It's recreation. I agree with you on the recreational thing. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. Um, so, uh, no, adult use is not, cause, you know, we're none of the guys of the federal government. We're not a state. So, okay. you know, uh, it's passed in the House and we're waiting for the Senate to, to do something and those are the Republicans to control the Senate. So we're kind of stuck right yeah, now. Do they have some twisted attitudes about marijuana? Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. John I, Boehner, who has, you know, obviously left the group, is now, you know, he's come around. He's a bar, he was a bar guy in Ohio, alcohol yeah. guy. Now he's come around and say, oh yeah, I now I understand cannabis. He was, you know, he's for it before he was against it. Uh, I'll just say this, come around, in other words, there's no political advantage for him uh, to manipulate people's bias against marijuana for votes. So it's not, I, I'm gonna just disagree with the come around part. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't need to take advantage of the attitude that people have about marijuana anymore, if you follow what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, it's a it's And I'm not gonna speak for John. Like, I, I think any, any momentum we can get, especially from the right, from the conservatives and Republicans wanting to push this agenda forward to legally federalize Canada, we'll take it from whoever we can get. I think that, you know, if John would speak for himself, and I can't speak for him, he might say that he had a reckoning. He could, I don't know. But um, most people who were against it and then started to consume, now, you know, they have a change of heart. That's not unusual. It happens every day. You cannabis. think he's consuming? Oh, yeah. Oh, did not know that part. <laughs> uh, like I said, I'm not going to speak for yeah, him, but I'm assuming if he's fighting for it, he's consuming. Those Republicans need to have more parties with cannabis. Yeah, yeah they do. Cannabis. <laughs> uh, what'd you come up with that name? Uh, well, I, I took cannabis, which I love, and I took bliss, and, and I feel blissful Mercy. when I smoke, so that's how I combined it to <laughs> All right. get a state of bliss. Okay. All right. Cannabis. Um, so how did you have the capital? to get started. This is something I hear from a lot of people in the city of Chicago. It's very difficult uh, to get in the business if you don't have the money to get in the business. It precludes anybody uh, who doesn't have a lot of cash. Or did you have a lot of cash? Yeah, luckily, you know, I had a few situations happen to me. Uh, one where I had a long career working in pro sports and, and film and television. I was able to, you know, put some, you know, money aside for a rainy day. And then obviously I had a windfall uh, through, a, uh, through the car accident uh, where I was hit. And I was able to combine those two resources and allowed me to, you know, put up some significant money in order to, to open this dispensary. I felt there was a sacrifice and one that needed to happen in order for me to try to preserve and, and get some people into cannabis and also to bring down the prices for, 
for patients. So I felt it was a, it was a sacrifice I needed to make. So what's the situation here in the city of Chicago in terms of how do people get uh, the license that are available? Well, I think that, you know, I think you have to do kind of what we're doing. First of all, you have to have experience. You have to have horticultural experience um, where you've operated and, and owned a dispensary. People don't know, really understand how heavily regulated this industry is. Um, and I think you need to kind of get out there and talk to the aldermen and talk to the older women and uh, let them know that you're applying. Let them know that um, you have this experience and let them know what you're going to do for the community. For example, we, uh, we, used to, we just unionized some employees in Washington, D.C., um, and we're doing the same thing here in Chicago. I'm working on that right now. And uh, so these are the kind of things that we're trying to do in, on our agenda that pushes industry forward because a lot of these multi-state operators, they go in and set up in, in these poor communities, and they pay these employees 8 or $9 an hour. So, you know, I felt like, hey, we need, I'm the highest paying dispensary in the district. I mean, I pay as low as, I think, $17 an hour, as high as $28 an hour, because we're in a very specialized field that's heavily regulated. You need to have really experienced people, and you need to pay for that experience. And to pay somebody 8 or $9 while you walk home with millions isn't really right. So, you know, I feel unionization is very important and needs to happen in the cannabis industry. So these are the kind of things that you need to do to separate yourself from everybody else. You have to really be active within the industry and making change so, for the positive. Uh, so you're, you do not have the license yet in the city of Chicago, correct? You're seeking we, the license. We do not. We're seeking. We applied. So what's the process that governs the application? Well, you have a, I guess they have a, a law firm who is a consultant that is going to go ahead and review these applicants and these applications, vet the applicants, and go ahead and, and then they're going to make a decision. And do I we believe, know who that law firm is? Um, I think it's... Is it done in Brack Street? What's that? Ernst and Young. Oh, Ernst and Young. I'm sorry. Oh, they're not a law firm. They're a county they're firm. They're a county, county firm. firm. Yeah. Well, yeah, they used to be one of the big six, but yeah, yeah. Ernst and Young. Mm -hmm. And then, from what I understand, what we call, this is what we call in D.C., we call it deemed eligible. Mm -hmm. So when you're deemed eligible means that as long as you do within the regulations to open your dispensary, you'll be granted the license. So what's going to happen is they're going to select these people, and then they, I believe they go into a lottery because everybody wants to be in Chicago. I think there's something like 7,100 applicants, you know, for only so many licenses. Mm -hmm. So now the winners, you know, everybody wants to prime some plush spots. So the winners are going to be put in a lottery and they're going to be divvied up to whatever area. And then you have to spend a whole lot of money to open up, which is around, you know, 1.5, 1.75 million dollars to range. And then you'll get your license at the end as soon as you finish your inspection. So you have it's, to put $1.5 million up. Yeah, yeah, you have, to build, you have to have a location, you have to build out your facility, and you have to pass an inspection. After the lottery, do you get to barter with other people if you don't like your location? That has not, that's an interesting question. I have not asked that question of any of the local politicians, and I haven't thought about that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what the, if they're transferable or if you can, you can bargain and negotiate to move your location, I don't know. And good so question. are they uh, giving, are they on the lookout for black owned businesses? Are they trying to do something <laughs> affirmative for, to uh, promote a, a black entrepreneur? In this? Well, you know, they all start out saying that. I mean, Marilyn, you know, Governor Hogan, who's a really good guy, you know, who pro-business, 
he started out saying that, but then other people win licenses and that whole thing was, you know, nobody won and now it's gone through lawsuits and there's 16 lawsuits impending. I think they are, their good intent starts out that way, but then the multi-state operators come in because they have these relationships. It's almost like the Rooney Rule, right, in NFL. Like the coaches that hang with the owners are usually Caucasian, so therefore they get those head coaching jobs and, you know, nobody gets interviewed. Here, it's like the multi-state owners, they hang with the governors and the local politicians. They know them because they're already operating. They get these additional lights. It's the same thing. So it's hard for a, a, a woman. I mean, think about it. In, in, in Illinois, there are no minority owners of, cultiv- of uh, cultivation facilities or dispensaries. Not one. And there's not, there's not one woman. There's not one person of color. So that's, you know, that's a reflection on the state and what needs to change. We need more diversity to serve all these communities. Um, and I think that would be fair. And so you're making the rounds, introducing yourself to Chicago politicians, et cetera, and so forth. I am, and meeting great people like yourself who are willing to listen to me and put me on the air. <laughs> Danny J. Give me, Danny J. Yeah, like you're, you're helping this movement. You're an important part of this. I, when you're able to vet and identify people and put them out there on the airwaves, you're, you're, you're just as important as anybody else. Well, I'll take that one to the bank. And, uh, and with, Betty, did you follow can... this regularly? I mean, you constantly have well, even... I'm... Yes. Even the elected officials. We, we have uh, a regular feature in this show uh, dealing uh, with cannabis. How about that, uh, Norbert? Cannabis. And uh, we talk about it in all different, uh, from all different <laughs> angles. And uh, one of my pet peeves is that for years and years and years, I, well, the top pet peeve is that uh, black people were arrested for something that white people did on a regular basis. And uh, that's, the, to me, the greatest injustice of our attitude toward marijuana uh i could go i have a whole secondary list of injustices <laughs> like they don't let football players medicate themselves with marijuana uh but that's at the top of the list so to me not having uh, a black owned dispensary is just exacerbating that divide you follow what i just told you norbert yeah and so i don't understand why we're not rushing to do so can i read you a quote by governor pritzker it's real J.B. Pritzker, that governor? That governor. This is what he said just before. Did you support Pritzker? I can't remember. Um, No. Okay. Um, (laughs) Just threw that out there. uh, Just before the cannabis was legalized, Uh he said, and I quote, tomorrow when adult use cannabis becomes legal, pay attention to the fact that we are beginning to accomplish four very important things. We are ending the 50-year-long war on cannabis. We're restoring rights to many tens of thousands of Illinoisans. We're bringing regulation and safety to a previously unsafe and illegal market. And we are creating a new industry that puts equity at its very core. This man is the only solely owned African-American-owned dispensary in the country. That's equity at its core, so giving no, him a license. When will this license be uh, uh, awarded? I think it's sometime in the first or second week of May. I, I want to throw out the date of May 5th, but I'm not totally sure on that, but right around there. All right. Uh, Norbert Pickett is his name. The name of the company is Cannabis. He's applying for a license to operate a dispensary here uh, in Chicago. And uh, Norbert, I want to thank you very much for stopping by. My next guest, Terry Cosgrove, on deck waiting to come on. Uh, best of luck to you, Norbert. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And can I just give a plug? Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Shop Cannabis DC. Once again, Shop, S H O P, Cannabis, C A N N A B L I S S D C. And also, you can uh, go to our website, which is DC Holistic Wellness.com. And the names Once, of your Chicago partners. 
Uh, yes, and uh, and I have two fantastic partners. I mean, they're they're in started the robotics program here, and they have a robotics team. Uh, that's Connie Anderson. That's Clifton Mohammed. Um, I, I had interviewed a few people to partner with, and, and they immediately rose to the top. They're two quality people, very engaged in the community. I couldn't have better partners. All right. Thank you very much, Norbert. Thank you very much, Doris Davenport. We're going to take a break. Terry Cosgrove will be with us. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter commercial break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show live from the chicago sun times terry cosgrove is in the studio uh the executive director ceo personal pack welcome to the show a president Thank i'm my bad president ceo uh yes i got it wrong uh president not, um not executive not director a, right well it doesn't matter yes it's, what difference does yeah, it make what anyway? difference i have a big mouth that's all that matters all right before we uh, do the interview you have an update or should i just jump in with tc all right terry uh terry cosgrove of course is the one who told me to put my big boy pants on and support jb pritzker uh i did vote for jb have, J. have you regretted his election yes i oh no yeah. i've told you many times he makes me confess oh, this no, every time okay, he comes no. on the show that uh i was wrong uh, on J.B. Pritzker. Uh, I voted for Dan Biss. Uh, I regret that vote in many ways. Um, but uh, uh, I love Latisa Wallace, who was his running mate. Right. Uh, and uh, and I wish I had voted for Bob Diver, as uh, Dennis did. But J.B. Well, we Pritzker... to get down to business. Thank you, Bob Diver. J.B. Pritzker has been, in my humble opinion, a great governor yeah. in the state of yeah, Illinois. So you agree. were right and I was wrong, well, right? Well, wrong. Okay. I mean, misguided. Misguided. <laughs> Confused. <laughs> All right. Uh, personal packs, uh, recommendations, and endorsements. First of all, tell everybody what personal pack is. Yeah, we are a state and local pro-choice political action committees. In other words, we don't get involved with federal races. Uh, so we endorse candidates who are running for state and local office who are pro-choice, meaning they believe that the decision to have abortion, use birth control, um, carry a pregnancy to term is between an individual woman and her doctor and no one else's business, mm -hmm. particularly politicians. Uh, so that is the uh, that's what we are, and we we're actually celebrating our 30th anniversary right now. In fact, March 7th, we're having a <clears throat> celebration party, um, a roast of our three board chairs uh, who have served as board chairs. Founder Marcy Love is being one of the people roasted, as well as uh, Jerry Newton. Uh, who was the second board chair, and then Melissa Wyden, who was the third board chair. All three of them are still on the board, but um, are, are no longer board chairs. So, And uh, in the 30 years, we have made uh, some great progress in uh, getting Illinois to be one of the most pro-choice. We're not yet because we still have a parental notice of abortion statute that needs to be repealed, but I a lot of your listeners might be familiar with HB 40 and Governor Rauner as well. And we don't have to revisit that. No, I love I know you do. that. I know you do. I, I see the that. smile on your face. And I'm like, oh, did I really say that? There goes the next half hour. <laughs> I'll refrain. In the, re the Reproductive Health Act, which yeah. repealed 
all these horrible laws from the 1970s, such as uh, requiring spousal consent for a woman to get, requiring a woman to get her husband's permission to get an abortion, restrictions on birth control, IVF, uh, 24-hour waiting periods, all the horrible stuff that ex- that has recently existed in other states. Illinois had on the statute for um, over 30 years, mm-hmm. and or about 30 years, and we have finally repealed all of them because um, by June 30th. The U.S. Supreme Court is on schedule to overturn Roe v. Wade, so 47 years of abortion being legal, not necessarily. Wait, time out. By what what date did you give for that? Well, the court the court is hearing a case right now okay. that uh, that would basically allow states to shut down every single provider, as well as open up the gate for any state restriction that that a state wants to put on. I mean, that's where they're going, regardless of how this this particular decision is framed, they're clearly telling the states any kind of restriction that you want to enact, we're fine with. And uh, which means that there's only going to be a few states on the West Coast, uh, several on the East Coast, and then Illinois in the middle of the country after June 30th when this decision comes down. I mean, that's the end of the court term. It could happen May 1st, yeah. May 31st, you know, but. And you ha- think the votes are there? Uh, oh, totally. This yeah. case Kavanaugh, is. Coming- Kavanaugh sealed it. Yeah, yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, Ms. Collins, <laughs> Senator Collins. Hopefully that will be in a past tense come November. But uh, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, Kavanaugh, his writings, all of his opinions have made it absolutely clear that um, that he believes that abortion should not be a personal decision between a woman or a doctor. And this is important. So let's just focus yeah. on this a little bit because this is why uh, state rep seats are important as well. Uh, it, it's it, the, the Illinois law... Uh, was passed by state representatives, whether you know it or not, and state senators, whether you know who they are or not. Uh, And so that's why these endorsements are very important. But let's go back to the national law. It's a case coming out of what state? I'm just Uh, Louisiana. Louisiana. And what what does that law uh, do? What did the Louisiana? Well, it's the the exact same law um, that uh, that the court didn't... um, didn't approve um, out of Texas that shut down nearly every provider there because uh, a certain Supreme Court justice passed away uh, in the middle of the night. And so it was a 4-4 tie. That would be Scalia. Yeah, and Scalia would have been the fifth vote. Right. So so then, and then, you know, the Scalia seat was, of course, we know what happened there. And Well, let's just review in case people forgot. Barack Obama uh, nominated a gentleman named Merrick Garland, as I recall. Uh, Mitch McConnell refused to bring that to a vote. Right. uh, On the grounds that he was going to wait until the next election. Uh, The next election, uh, Donald John Trump was declared the victor, even though he did not win the majority of the vote. Just pointing this out, Terry Cosgrove. Three million. Yeah, three million short. Uh, And as a result, he got to uh, name uh, the uh, replacement for Scalia. And in his infinite uh, wisdom, he decided to name who? Uh, that wasn't Kavanaugh. No, no. That was Gorsuch. Gorsuch, yes. right, right, Gorsuch, yeah. 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 And then Kavanaugh came next. Uh, yeah. A- and when uh, Kennedy. Kennedy stepped Retired, down. yeah. So that is now, you're pretty sure that, so that there's five uh, votes to um, rule in favor of Louisiana. I just don't see how it goes any other way. I just don't. And even if it does it, even if they parse it a little, there's going to be, um, it. almost a day doesn't go by. Like just today I read um, about um, a law that Oklahoma's just introduced that would 
would take away the medical license of any single doctor who performs an abortion, period. Like, no, you know, no, you have to have, you know, hospital privileges within 30 miles or 10 miles. I mean, any of the other stuff, they've tried to eat away at the edges on with that. So now it's just any doctor that performs an abortion is committing a felony, has their license revoked, and has... And, and then Arizona has a, has a bill right now that does something similar. You know, Ben, I gotta be honest with you, I can't keep up with the daily. I mean, I'm on this, it's called Rewire News. If people aren't on it, you should subscribe to it um, and, uh, and donate to them. And every single day I get their update and, and there rarely is a day that goes by that there isn't another, um, another state introducing another horrible anti-abortion law. That's how I know most of this. You know, I don't sit around, um, getting all this information by osmosis. <laughs> no, yeah. like Texas, the death penalty for yeah. a woman who has an abortion. I mean, this is, you know, this is what's going on around the country. And, and to be clear, why to get back to these endorsements, the mm-hmm. reason why it's so important is because if we know one thing about 2016, elections matter and we can lose everything in one election cycle, which means we could have a bad election in Illinois, um, a right-wing governor could run against J.B. Prisker in uh, 2022, and we could get a pro-choice majority in the Illinois House and Senate in two or four years, and which means they will enact all these horrible laws that exist in other states, and without the protection of Roe, those laws won't be enjoined. They will they will become laws. So, well, uh, I'll hold off uh, for the moment uh, a discussion of national politics. I know we want to focus on these local elections. Right. But we're going to come back to the national politics uh, because Donald Trump is convinced that the key to his reelection is uh, to not bend on this because this is his fundamental pact. This is the one pact he has made that I don't believe he'll bend on, and that is his uh, vehement opposition to abortion. Now, he's relatively new in the course of his life to this vehement opposition. just want to point that out to right. people. Uh, Donald Trump uh, was a supporter of abortion rights, I want to say in the 80s and the 90s, and then when he decided he was going to run for Republican, he had this conversion. Right. Uh, so just any... Uh, consider that one uh and uh so we'll get into whether that is a winning strategy in your humble opinion for the republicans but let's go through some of these uh local races and ones that you think are really important that folks should know about sure um i'll just touch on the 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 i think the ones that are not that they all aren't important because if i say on the radio that one is not important (laughs) yeah then you're in trouble yeah then i'm in trouble but uh robert martwick in senate district 10 which is hyde park and um and in his Kwame Raoul, he took Kwame Raoul. No, no, no. Rob Markwick, you're talking no, about? No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're I'm, Robert I'm, Peters. Robert Peters. Yes. I mean, Robert Peters. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm very sorry. That's you're uh, right. Senate District 13. 13, yes. Yeah. I was looking at 13 and I said 10 for it's some reason. So Robert no Peters um, is a wonderful, young, next generation uh, African American uh, state senator uh, who took Kwame Raoul's seat. And um, he has a uh, serious challenge. So anyone listening that lives in the Hyde Park neighborhood, um, make sure you support Robert Peters. And anyone listening, they should check out our interview we had with Robert Peters. Oh, if, you're, if you're unaware of who that is, he's got a, an amazing story. He's a the good guy. story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he did a, we did a bonus with Robert Peters. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of them. It, they're, the, first, the bonus is the one you should definitely listen to. Fascinating. No, no. Uh, backstory I would, of Robert I Peters. Would, he's mm-hmm. really, he's a sponsor of our parental notice repeal. Thank you, Dennis. That was a great point. RP. Yeah, with, <laughs> give him a raise. <laughs> yeah. Take it out of petty cash. Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, and then the other Senate race that I want to point out is uh, Christina Castro in Elgin. Uh, she's a leader on all of our issues, a feminist, uh, amazing woman, and she has a fairly serious challenge. And then going to the House... Um, before we do that, yeah. Martwick. Yeah. Martwick is a supporter of abortion rights. Right, is that he correct? is. He was a leader in the Illinois House, and now he's in the Senate. And uh, he's got a serious challenge of his own uh, in that race. Uh, yeah, Senator. yeah, he does. He does. Uh, I didn't want to skip over that. Yes, that's Jefferson why, Park. Yeah, yeah. So that's why um, you know I I accidentally said his name because I meant to mention him. Yes, he's got a serious race. He was appointed to the seat when Senator Mulrew decided to take a position on the court. And Robert Martwick, excellent guitar player. Have you seen him play guitar? No, I haven't. Oh. Okay. I, isn't he the singer? He plays the guitar? Yeah, he plays guitar. I, did, I forgot that. Oh, really? Yeah. Big, big Martwick fan? <laughs> you are. No, I love Martwick. He comes on the show all the time, but I just forgot that he played the guitar. Well, you have to have him play on the next time he's here. Yeah, yeah a little acoustic yeah, jam, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so those are some of the... Uh, uh, no, those see Martwick. The reason why I mention him is because he's got a challenger. And it's a Democratic right. primary, but his opponent. Uh, it's they always on the northwest side. They dig up these Republicans and get them to run as Democrats. Right. Uh, right. And so. And that's what this guy is. He's yeah. a Republican running as a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, and go, doesn't play the guitar. And doesn't play the guitar. <laughs> well, that saying. disqualifies him right Just there. <laughs> I think you're mixing Markwick up with Arena. Isn't Arena the one who plays the guitar and Markwick's a singer? Markwick no? plays guitar. All right, whatever. Okay, go ahead with your house. Uh, rep- uh, okay, I mean, I um, uh, Aaron Ortiz um, and Teresa Ma in first and second district, uh, both pro-choice leaders. They ha- and I've just the people with stars been on your list are the ones with actual primary challenges. Okay, that's what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, they have uh, they have challenges. Uh, uh, Omar Williams in ten. Um, he has a serious challenge. He has a, he's a incumbent pro-choice leader, and um, he has two challengers. And going down the list, sixteen. Denise Wang Stoneback. This is one of the most important races going on. Yeah. Anyone listening from Morton Grove, Skokie, uh, the fiftieth Ward of Chicago, Lincolnwood. These are my old stomping grounds. I went to Niles West High School. Niles West is in this district, um, and. Uh, Mark Kalish was the appointed rep who promised everyone in writing and verbally everywhere that he would support the Reproductive Health Act. And the day of the vote, he refused to support it. He sided with every single Republican in the Illinois House in refusing to support the Reproductive Health Act. And Denise is running against him. She's 100% pro-choice. She has personal PAC support, Planned Parenthood, Illinois Action, IVI, Independent Voters of Illinois. She has uh, Illinois Now PAC. She has uh, she has Men for Choice. She has a whole IFT, CTU. Uh, Mark, uh, Kalish has to go. So anyone that's out there, volunteer for Denise's campaign. Put up a yard sign. Uh, the election's five weeks from today. We got we have to make sure that she's the next state rep in that district. Oh, and Kalish lied again yesterday. He was at a forum and insists that. Um, he the contributions that he made to Peter Roskam on June 4th, 2018, just mm-hmm. uh, right before the the Sean Caston challenge, uh, were done by the um, by the company he lobbies for. He actually said this at the forum. He made those contributions personally. He gave a thousand dollars to Scott Walker 
in Wisconsin. He gave $1,500 to David McSweeney personally, mm-hmm. gave to David McSweeney, who is one of the most right-wing uh, members of the Illinois General Assembly. And this guy's running as a Democrat. He has the nerve to try to call himself a progressive Democrat. He's not even a Democrat. Yeah, no, this He's one, a liar. This, he, one, this is a Louis Lang's old yes, seat. Yes. Yeah. And how the Democrat, my beloved Democratic Party, I, I Terry, I just, I, I vent about my Democrats. They, they, they have this self-destructive impulse I do not understand. I can't imagine Republicans making a similar maneuver where you have a district that's been uh, electing a pro-choice reps forever, and somehow or other, you replace uh, that uh, Louis Lang with a anti-choice a person, how that slips through. Well, you here's say, well, what happened. Okay. Kalish lied to Lou Lang. Lou Lang never would have appointed someone to that seat who was anti-choice. Kalish lied to Lou Lang and told him that he was 100% pro-choice and he even said, I will vote the exact same way you did on all the issues, except he lied. Mm. Um, he also had a bill to... Uh, uh, to outlaw, conceal, and carry. And when uh, pro-gun people came to him, um, he refused to call his own bill in committee. I mean, the guy is... Uh, yeah, I mean, th- this is... <laughs> That's pretty... And he's got the nerve to be sending out mail saying that he's an advocate of, of gun safety. I mean, Here's how the Republicans would deal with yeah. it. Donald Trump would send out some tweets. Yeah. That's it. All the Trumpies would know. The mm-hmm. MAGA hat wearers would know. Democrats, oh, you, you know, that's... I always tease well, my beloved Democrats. They're so always confused. Right, they don't right. know. Here's the problem. Ben. Yeah. Republicans will find every reason in the world to vote for a Republican. Democrats will find every reason in the world not to vote for a Democrat. And that's how we got Donald Trump in 2016. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but all the people who stayed home, all the people who didn't vote for Bernie, I, I voted Bernie people who didn't vote for Hillary or G- people who voted for Jill Stein or Gary whatever he was too high to name. Uh, well, don't blame uh, the Democrats for Gary Johnson. No. That was the, your no, beloved no, Chicago but I mean, Tribune's endorsement. But, but no, but he was on the ballot. Instead of voting for Hillary Clinton, people thought, okay, I'm going to do this and we got Donald Trump. So I am I know we're not getting on the national politics right now, but I just We hope, will get to national yeah, politics. Okay. But I just... Uh, I just shake my head when I see stuff like that. I can't imagine in a million years a Republican replacement for a Republican incumbent who is like uh, anti-choice uh, being pro-choice. Like, right. you know, I would, what, a, what, a, what a dream that would be. I you know. know, what, I'm saying? I know. Like, what? How did that right. happen? And then personal pack, by the way, people should know this. Personal pack is nonpartisan in that they're not Democrat or Republican. Terry right. Cosgrove makes this clear. Uh, this is their issue. This is your issue. Right, right. And in uh, in the 1990s, we had 14 pro-choice Republican state reps, and we had six Republican state senators. Now, the right wing has drummed every single one of them out of the Illinois General mm-hmm. Assembly. So now every single Republican is anti-choice. Yeah. So we, By the yeah. way, uh, shameless plug, we interview, a great interview with Marcy Love, uh, the heretofore mentioned uh, leader of uh, Personal Pack, one of the founders of She's Personal Pack. She's the founder. Yeah. And she talks about... The, that evolution of the Republican Party. She is a Republican, the evolution of the Republican Party uh, to where it is now. Uh, we'll get into all that. All right. Lindsay so. LaPointe. Um, speaking of Robert Martwick, this mm-hmm. is Bob's Rob's uh, old house seat that he 
uh, left to be a state senator, and Lindsay Lapointe is the uh, is the new state rep there. She's wonderful. She's the sponsor of our parental notice repeal, and she's a thousand percent pro-choice, progressive on all hosts of issues. And she's one of our top priority races, just like Denise Stoneback. So, um, have you had her on your show yet? Uh, no, I've not had. Okay. Uh, I had uh, Rob Markwick on the show. Yeah. Uh, now, in the case of Lindsay Lapointe. Uh, I presume her two, she's in a Democratic primary. There's right. nobody running in that race that's anti-choice. No. no. Okay, that's an important point no, to make. No. Because in some instances, uh, you have the best of both worlds. No matter who wins, right. you're going to get a uh, pro-choice right. Uh, right. vote out of it. Uh, in other instances, uh, you could have an anti-choice uh, right. uh, vote. Like in two, the guy running against Theresa Ma is anti-choice in the Democratic primary. So... <clears throat> that's a that's a perfect example there. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, she we really have to make sure she wins. And the same thing in sixteen. Yes, uh, where the incumbent uh, is anti-choice. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, we, I see a name here. I go down the list, but I just want to call out in House District forty-two. That gentleman has been on this show. Oh yeah, yeah. Ken. Yeah, uh, and, Ken Mahan. But Beale. you know what's beautiful about this? This is your favorite, one of your favorite persons, <laughs> former state rep district, the one and only Jeannie Ives. Yes. And, and so I just think it's amazing that Jeannie Ives district could could be represented and and very well maybe by an openly gay. African American man. I yes, mean, this is. I mean, you know, this is like as the world turns or something. You know? <laughs> I am rooting for him. I, I know, know I shouldn't say that I have like a favorite favorite of state right. rep because I love them all, right? right? But I'm really rooting for Ken. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. This is this is going to be a great race. And uh, yes, it's going to be a great race. Uh, he's running unopposed uh, in the Democratic primary, right? Right. Uh, for the opportunity to uh, run against the incumbent, whose name has just escaped me. It's a sign of uh, early stages of senility Jeannie Ives is no longer the state rep. no no she's district. not she and I'm down. forgetting the woman who took yeah. the place but, um, who, uh, but she's anti-choice vehemently yeah. anti-choice yeah. so this yeah. would be a huge victory it would be a sign that DuPage County this is Wheaton uh, right. House District of 42 this, is, this would be a sign that DuPage County truly has changed uh, Terry Krasov right, right. Uh, if uh, Ken Mejia Beal uh, is victorious we'll probably have him on the show again soon any other uh, these house well, races that you want to um, alert people I, to? I mean, the um, the only other one I want to point out is Barbara Hernandez in House District 83 in Aurora, speaking of Republicans running as Democrats. Uh, Juan Thomas is running against her in the Democratic primary, and he has uh, links to uh, Republicans and uh, in actually links to anti-choice groups. So you'll be hearing more about that uh, as time goes on. All right, and uh, moving away from the the, the state house, uh, you've endorsed Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. Yes, talk about that. Yes, uh, she's one of the finest people to ever hold elective office, and it is uh, it is really disconcerting that people can't get over the whole uh, Jesse Smollett uh, incident. Smollett Gate. Yeah, Smollett Gate. When she has accomplished so much and has done so much in the in the area of criminal justice reform in terms of uh, racial justice around criminal justice reform and is a pro-choice leader and speaks openly. She was chair of the Planned Parenthood board. So I hope that everyone listening here 
it kind of drives me a little crazy that all people can think of is this uh, this Smollett gate when she has accomplished so much in so little time. Well, Terry, what do you have to say for someone? Because we've had someone on our live stream yeah. chat uh, that goes door to door canvassing for uh, Kim Fox, and he says he has trouble with that Smollett gate thing. Any any advice? Anything? What or do well, you experience it? What do you say? Yeah, to no, no, I experienced it. People, you know, when we did our endorsement, several people uh, wrote in because it is said, unfortunate. Really, the whole Smollett thing has nothing to do with the city of Chicago. I, well, really. it's one, it's just, regardless of how you feel about it one way or another, it is one very, very small piece of her record. So that's, I guess that's what, this is so blown out of proportion in terms, regardless of, of I mean, I've heard her explain it. I mean, she was on um, At Issue, I hate to bring up another radio program. Hey, WBBM hey leave on right Sunday now. morning. Just leave right now. <laughs> and, and, and she did a great job of explaining it. And I don't want to dignify it by spending the next five or 10 minutes talking about it. But Dennis, your question is very, very valid. It, regardless of how you feel about it, it's not taking into account the totality of her record, which is phenomenal. Cook County is a model across the country for criminal justice reform. She has moved so much of the um, of the resources of the state's attorney's office away from nonviolent crimes. In other words, um, what we would call lower level theft mm -hmm. to reducing the amount of violent crimes are going on in Cook County and making sure that that's where the focus of her office is. And the Justice Mollett case and, uh, and the cases that do not involve the violent crime have lower priority in her office, but she's, she's still prosecuting those cases. She's just putting the focus attention where people of Cook County want the, you know, the, the gun violence and the other violence that goes on. She has really done a great job of reducing that. And, um, and has become a model across the country for other cities and other states. Yeah, okay. it's but the, the question's a great question uh, because I mean, that's what everybody knows. Yeah. Most people don't follow politics. Dennis teases me because I'm like a total political geek. That's All correct. Right. All right, thank you, Robert Mueller. And it's true, I, I'm obsessed with politics, have been since I was about... 10. There's nothing or, wrong with that. Okay. But, you don't need you. to see a therapist. For <laughs> okay. it. I've just heard people like say, but most people don't follow yeah. politics. And so the yeah. only thing they know are like celebrities. When that moment, when a celebrity crosses, intersects with politics, they know that Jesse Smollett is a celebrity. His case got high profile treatment uh, from the Cook County state's attorney. That's okay. why people know about it. And if I had a rank and uh, Maya did this a lot better than I did, she articulated. If I had a rank, the 20 issues facing Cook County criminal justice, Jesse Smollett would not be in that top he 20. He would be in the list. Yeah. But he's a celebrity. Okay, right. and it's an easy thing for people to hammer home on and to just sort of feed into the cynicism that Chicagoans have uh, after years and years of experience, Terry, that the whole process is fixed. It's who you know. And so it's it's easy uh, to uh, turn people against Kim Fox uh, for that reason. Now, the Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, I got to give him a shout out, TC. Their editorial, they endorsed oh, Kim Oh, I know. Fox. It was amazing. It was yeah. a very good I, editorial. I put it on my Facebook yeah, page. They, I did my part. They dealt with the issue of Jesse Smollett yeah. uh, and they put it sort of, they prioritized it. They go, well, this is a mistake. It's an embarrassment. But on that list of things that matter, it's not even yeah. 
well, they didn't say the top 10. Uh, now, I'll be curious, your beloved Chicago Tribune that you love more than anything, how their editor... <laughs> just teasing them. He's getting it. Oh, <laughs> that editorial board will deal with it because to them, it's the only thing that matters. Right. You know, right. No, Donald right. Trump, their beloved right. president, somehow has a rape accusation against him. I, don't, I haven't seen one editorial about that. Right, but, but right. Well, countless editorials. Oh, I know. And I've I heard know. a lot of people compare and say that... Uh, the Laquan McDonald video for Anita Alvarez, they're comparing it to this uh. the Smollett thing is Kim is Kim Fox's Laquan McDonald. Like, whoa, like that's way more serious than Laquan McDonald. Talk about a murder of a man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like yeah. it's just very unfortunate that uh. people do that. Yeah. No. Listen, man, I, I say this, I'm guilty, TC. I'm gonna tell you this right now. I just infatuated with the Smollett Gate story and what it reveals. It reveals so much about where we are as a civilization in the yeah. year 2020. That said, I do not think it is uh, the most important issue. Uh, I feel, personally, I feel at worst, uh, Kim Fox got into the celebrity hood of Justice Smollett and his connection to the larger Democratic Party and took a call she shouldn't have taken. Uh, but <laughs> except that he was a victim when she took the call, just like she takes her office takes the calls from neighbors, relatives, and friends of victims. At that point, when she took the call, I see here we are. We're, yeah, going, we're talking we're about all right, let's going, not read but no, no, but I think it's important here. She didn't do anything wrong, she took the call from someone who knew the victim and that's what is normal course in the office it, he was not the whole idea of him whatever he did to uh to set this whole thing up she took the call before that it wasn't it was after that it became a problem all right and, let's let's not because i can yeah, i no, can no, have no, a counter i've and then you would have a counter no, no, and no, the no, next thing you know it'd be 15 but, minutes but here's gate. but here here's the problem with it yeah and, and this is why I hope everyone takes away from this. Let's get our priorities in order. Our priorities are not Jesse Smollett. Our priorities should be the phenomenal work that this woman has done on criminal justice reform in Cook County that has made our neighborhood safer and that has put the attention where it needs to be, which is on violent crime. Okay. So I hope that's the takeaway, right. that everyone listening to this, as you think about who you're gonna vote for, Kim Fox deserves your vote for that reason. All right, very good. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. Uh, any, anything else you want to talk about before no, we not shift really. gears? No, uh, And tell folks where they can, if they want to see this list themselves. I know there's a website. Yeah, uh, personalpack.org. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. And yeah, I got a question. Uh, if Ben ever ran for water reclamation, would you have his, would you uh, endorse him? I'm trying to get him to run for water. He loves water. Wow, he's about to take a drink right now. Uh, Terry, let me tell you what? something about water. It's it, wet. Did you know that? I, I, you know, and you know what else I heard Donald Trump say that there's water all around islands mm. you know too I, no donald trump I, he should be on the water wreck yeah because he knew uh puerto rico is an island it's surrounded by water that's what he said I'm like whoa right did not right. know that right i know i know it's it, an island it's an, and it's surrounded by water world. yeah think about that i know, I know. Uh, no no nothing so personal no. pack well and the reason and you know i want to point out the reason why we do make endorsements for like the the Metropolitan Water Recreation District and other offices mm -hmm. is there's two reasons. Number one, the city of Chicago, Cook County, the state of Illinois, the Water Rec Reclamation District, they have thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, well, the state, more, tens of thousands employees. Those employees deserve to have reproductive health care as part of their health insurance. 
And there are people on the Water Reclamation District, there are people in City Hall, Tony Preckwinkle, Cook County government, to make sure that the employees of Cook County Hospital and their dependents have access to reproductive health care. So that's number one. The second thing is, is that people who run for some of these other offices, I don't want to call them lower offices, other officers, often end up running for other for another office. For example, mm-hmm. Nick Palmer is running for the Will County Chief Executive Officer. Why are we involved in that race? Because Jennifer Bertino Tarrant, who is a current sitting Democratic Senator, refused to support HB 40 and the Reproductive Health Act. The last thing in the world I want is to see Jennifer Bertino Tarrant win this office because Who knows, in five years, she may want to run for Congress. So it's important that we take candidates for these other offices very, very seriously. And if elected officials don't think that their record is going to follow them for the rest of their lives, they have another thing coming because there's a thing called a voting record. (laughs) And And there's a guy named Terry Cosgrove with a very long memory. memory. Exactly, exactly. So so it's important for people to understand, like, and... You know, people say, well, why do you care about the Will County Chief Executive Officer? Because Nick Palmer's pro-choice and Jennifer Bertino is not. And I don't want to see her running for U.S. Senator or Congressperson or or any other kind of office. All right. uh, she needs to be defeated now. And that's why people in Will County should <clears throat> sign up, help Nick Palmer win this primary election. All right. To that point, <clears throat> noticeably absent from this list is perhaps the most high-profile Uh, abortion-related race in the state of Illinois, and that would be the 3rd Congressional District, where uh, uh, Dan Lipinski, the incumbent, uh, is vehemently anti-choice, is running against Marie Newman, who is pro-choice, and you've made no endorsement in that race. Uh, And the reason for that has been because personal PAC is a state and local... political action committee we are prohibited by law from endorsing federal races which would be united states senate and uh, congress and congress and uh and president so you will not see any endorsements in federal races uh, from us there are other people that do that and since you're speaking of uh the anti-choice leader and uh, mouthpiece for um for making abortion illegal um Representative Lipinski, Marie Newman has been- Making abortion illegal. Illegal, yes, 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 illegal. Marie Newman has been endorsed by Emily's List, Planned Parenthood Action, as well as, uh, as well as NARAL and all the other national uh, abortion rights organizations. So, all right, well, uh, so personally, uh, even though Personal PAC doesn't endorse, I would encourage everyone to get out and vote for Marie, for Marie Newman, a financial supporter of hers, and believe she would make a great congressperson. And that's Terry Cosgrove's personal opinion. Right. That's not personal, personal pack. pack. Right. That's Terry Cosgrove personal. Uh, we're gonna. But take, we get that question frequently. I know. That's People why I asked it. Say, yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Hey, where's Marie Newman yeah, on this right, list? Right. Or uh, Dick Durbin. Or yeah. Well, Marie Newman's the one again. This. This is a. <laughs> this is the showdown. You talk about showdown races. Right. This is one right. on this right. issue. Oh, yeah. And uh, Lipinski. Well, it's not just that. He's anti-gay. I mean, when Lori Lightfoot came out and endorsed today or yesterday, I forget, which, you know, saying that if it if he had his way, she and her wife wouldn't be able allowed to be married. He's against marriage equality. I mean, so it's, I mean, obviously I'm a one issue person and I appreciate that you bring that up, but it's it's much more than that mm-hmm. in this case. And also healthcare. Healthcare too, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, and also I have to point out the third congressional, I love pointing this out. Uh, 
third congressional win for Bernie Sanders. Right. In uh, 2016 against Hillary Clinton. They mm -hmm. went for pretty. That is a left of center district. Right. Oh, absolutely. And you should have a left of center champion on social issues and labor issues, et cetera. Right. If you're a Bernie Sanders district. Right. PC. Well, I know it's an old saw, but this, that whoever, this race is going to be determined by turnout. And if enough of the, you know, progressive Democrats turn out and younger Democrats, I think Marie has a great chance of winning. So it's all going to be about turnout because, you know, Lipinski has his, uh, you know, his base of support, obviously, in the district. And so the challenge for them there is going to increase the turnout dramatically. All right. Well, let me, let me close down this, uh, this show with a discussion of national politics. Mm -hmm. Last week, uh, Donald Trump proclaimed it was his greatest week. Uh, it, the Democrats really did everything they could to make it his greatest week. No collusion. Iowa, thank you, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and then at the end of the week, I'm, I don't know if you saw this, yeah. Donald Trump's uh, campaign announced that they were going to make a special effort uh, to win over black voters and suburban women voters. I'm not making this up. Right. They no, actually I saw said this. It. I okay. saw it. They yeah. made this, which is so bizarre. Uh, they follow that up with threats to cut Medicaid, threats to cut food stamps, threats to cut... Uh, Zeroed out uh, housing. Housing. Yeah. I, healthcare. Uh, right. They're still fighting. So how they're going to win over these two groups, I don't know. But Donald Trump will not waver on his opposition to abortion right. he's going to promote and uh nominate judges mm -hmm. who are going to vote against roe right they're going to be anti-choice judges uh he's only going to promote uh anti-choice politicians and so i'm having a hard time understanding tc how donald trump thinks he's going to win over suburban moderates particularly women with this record on abortion is it his sense that abortion really doesn't matter, push come to shove uh, in a national election. Whoever he's running against yeah. as a Democrat will be pro-choice. Well, he's running a base election. He is gonna, he, what he wants to do is fire up his base. He doesn't want to lose the so-called uh, moral majority who supports him, uh, the, the so-called evangelical Christians who can ignore everything else he does. So, th so that's what it's about. It's not, uh, I don't, it, and he knows that the more he, he hammers away on abortion, because that's their one of their number one issues. The, you know, the it's the same thing he does about the wall and uh, you know and and keeping in his words all those bad people out. So I think that's that's part of his strategy. He is he's doing the exact same playbook he did in 2016. And what I would caution people to do, to quote the uh, the wonderful Maya Angelou, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. And uh, he's telling us exactly who he is. And uh, that's why I think we have a moral responsibility to, for the planet, actually. It does not matter who the Democratic nominee is. I don't care if it's Bernie Sanders, it's Mike Bloomberg, Amy Klobuchar, anyone that's currently a candidate or will be a candidate in the future. Once this primary process is over, Everyone, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, your race, your gender, your sexual orientation, I don't care what it is, we all need to make sure that Donald Trump is not the next president because we won't survive it. And in 2016, I, I don't want to harp on the, you know, the past, but people thought it was certainly fine to pick a fight all the way through the general election, and we got Donald Trump. So if we make the mistake, you know, the, the old saying, people, 
People get what they vote for. So if Democrats are going to be splintered and not support the nominee, we're going to get Donald Trump. And you know what? Don't be surprised when, when you know, there's no clean water left and, you know, the Arctic and the Antarctic are all melted and, the, you know, the planet dies. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. So if you, if people feel that they're willing to risk all that and reproductive rights and marriage equality and labor and treating undocumented people horribly, then then don't get behind the Democratic nominee. Go fight it out and, and give us Donald Trump. and then But don't complain then afterward. All right, yeah. and, and I agree with you 100%. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm going to make this appeal. Hillary Clinton, I know you're a big listener to this show, particularly when T- Terry Cosgrove is on. Stop bashing Bernie. All right, there we go. I just had to say that. As long as we're going to go there, yeah. stop bashing Bernie, all right? Uh, well, I haven't said a bad word. No, you have him. not. No. You've been very good. I know. <laughs> and the reason being yeah. is because if he's the nominee, I don't want to do what his people did to her because it was morally bankrupt. It was morally bankrupt when when people had a choice between her and Donald Trump, they did not vote okay. for her. And I refuse to be as stupid and as arrogant and as ent- and entitled as he. Because you know what? It I, I I used to say it wouldn't matter because yeah. I have health insurance. I'm healthy, uh, but there are so many people that are on the edge, yeah. and so for for entitled white people to sit around and pretend that this is some kind of uh, academic exercise on whose health care plan is is better or who isn't. We're talking about the Supreme Court. We're talking about the fate of the planet. That's what that's what this has come down to. I don't. I'm not. All right. To, I don't want to relitigate 26. No, I always say no. that. But the re, I've, the studies I've seen said it was like the number of Bernie Sanders supporters who actually voted for Donald Trump was roughly 10 percent, which is less than the number of Hillary Clinton supporters who voted for John McCain in 2008. The reason I say this is I think it's. I agree with you, but I think it's a two-sided thing the biases uh that so many democrats have against bernie uh just don't seem to go anywhere t i hear some of the most preposterous things i don't want to talk about bernie Sanders. i don't want to talk about this 2016 no 2016 i want to talk about looking to the future whoever comes out of the democratic national convention i don't care who it is we all have to support that person for the end of getting rid of donald trump that that's I'm the only you. thing so here's my question because if you. we don't do that then nothing else is gonna I, matter i'll I, sure i'll come on your show every week and talk about how horrible the world is and then when the building goes up in flames because of you know or the, more likely the lake yeah the comes lake comes in, in. Comes you know that's in, fine yeah. i can swim you know I, <laughs> okay. I, but really all right I mean, well then we'll close with this this get, is where i wanted to go i wanted yeah. to ask you this do you think it's a winning strategy for Donald Trump to be so hardcore against abortion rights in these moderate districts? He says, "No, no, I don't at all. I don't. I don't think so at all. I mean, we know that over seventy percent, seventy-seven, seventy-eight percent of people agree with the Roe v. Wade decision, want to see abortion remain safe and legal. No, but that's he doesn't care about that. Mm-hmm. He is uh, he." He wants to keep his base and whip them up because he believes that that strategy is going to win. I don't think it's a winning strategy, but you know what? If the Democratic base is divided six ways uh, to kingdom come and the Republicans are all united, he is going to get reelected. So it's, you know, don't, you know, I, I, this election is not on Donald Trump. It's on our side. You know, he has this base of 42, 44, whatever, 39%, whatever it is. If... If those people who aren't supporting Donald Trump don't get behind the Democratic nominee, we're going to get him mm-hmm. as president again. So I, I, 
I, I dismiss the notion of constantly talking about him. This is on us. This is on us to make sure that every person we know comes out and votes against him for whoever the Democratic nominee is. Cold stop, mic drop. Mike drop. Wow. With that, we got nice. to get Mike out Mike Bloomberg out. drop? Yeah. <laughs> I, if he's the nominee, I... Yeah. All right. Well, actually, this is a perfect time to announce this. This news just came in from Newsweek about five minutes ago. We're going to do the big boy pants test. Here oh, we go. Here we go. Newsweek.com. Let's see here. Senator Bernie Sanders leads all Democratic presidential candidates in support from non-white voters and has gained 10 points among black voters, according to new polls released today. Wow. Okay. 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 All right. You know what? Wow. I'm uh, uh, not quite sure what to say about that. I I would guess that means Joe Biden's support uh, among black voters is eroding. Uh, there was a story I saw uh, that uh, Sergio Mims, a good friend Sergio Mims, uh, sent to me that showed that uh, Bloomberg was picking up a lot of Biden's black yeah. support. Yeah. This is fluid. Uh, this is yeah. everything is sort of like in transition. Uh, tonight's New Hampshire primary. Yeah. You know, in some are ways, are you doing special coverage? Yes, we doing? are. But you know what? T, it's almost like it doesn't even matter because think about it. The next round, we'll have Bloomberg in the race. Do you follow up on it? Oh, no, right. even the next round won't have Bloomberg. It's the round after that. So right. it's sort of like, this is this is a very unusual Democratic primary. Like, right. Iowa oh, was yeah. a disaster. Yeah. People are forgetting it even happened. Yeah, let's forget Iowa. Why does that, I mean... <laughs> I agree. Of, Let's forget uh, Iowa and think about New Hampshire tonight, tonight. at 6 p.m. Yeah. on Clark Street, starting at 6 p.m. Uh, ben Jarofsky, quit pointing at me. You're freaking I'm me out. Doing ben Jarofsky and our good friend slash political genius Samina Mustafa will be talking all things the New Hampshire Democratic primary tonight at G-Man Tavern on Clark Street. It's right off the Brown Line, Southport Brown Line. Uh, it's going to be going on at 6 p.m. all the way until 8. You can watch it on the live Live stream if you can't make it, but boy, we would love it if you can make it. Once again, it's 3740 North Clark Street. Just look for G-Man Chicago on Google, and we hope that you can join us 6 p.m. tonight. Samina Mustafa, Ben Jarofsky, Terry Cosgrove. You may be. I have a conference call at 6:15. Oh, uh, well, when it's done, come on over. You don't live that far from there. Get a conference call update. Uh, and, uh, I live way up north in Edgewater. I oh, you live further north there. My bad. All right, uh, Terry Cosgrove. Yes, we uh, when we're done with the yeah. show. We're going to hightail over to 3740 right. North Clark, G-Man, and uh, Samina and I will do a uh, show. Uh, I want to thank Terry Cosgrove. Thank uh, you, Personal ben. pack. And Dennis. P-E-R-S-O-N-A-L pack. That kind of personal. Right. Uh, dot org. Dot org. Uh, and I want to thank Norbert Pickett, Doris Davenport, uh, our guest earlier in the show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy in Alton, Illinois, as Terry Cosgrove can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dennis. White. <laughs> right? Right? They call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews like our brand new bonus Beyond the Column at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. No, Ben's not going to be buying drinks tonight at the event, but it is at G-Man tonight, 6 p.m. until 8 p.m., 3740 North Clark Street, talking all things tonight's New Hampshire Democratic primary. And hey, the Shadow app won't be involved, so we got a good chance of some good results. We'll see you tomorrow. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. That's correct. 